to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our afraid knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall, and you're listening to Afraid Not. This is episode number 85 with Stacey Getzinger. We are so happy she's here to be on Afraid Not with us, and she has an amazing story to tell you all. You guys are going to love listening to her. She's so honest and real in this conversation. Um, We do talk about eating disorders. We talk about cutting. So just if that's a trigger warning for you, we will be talking about those things. But it's a very important conversation, and I think you're going to get so much out of this. Everybody, we hope that um, you will share this with any loved ones you have who are going through this. And also just keep our eyes open for the people in our lives that may be struggling with this very thing. And this may be a really important conversation that will help you know what to do, what to say to help them. And maybe it's you. So we love you and we're sharing this podcast with you so that it's a lifeline of hope. So listen in. Hi, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. We I'm are so excited. We are so excited too. Thank you so much, Stacy. And uh, listeners, it's kind of a fun look back at a friendship that God brought into our lives. I remember when we got to meet when we were at Council Road Baptist Church and what a sweet friendship the Lord gave us. And coming after now uh, about probably maybe 17 years or so after when we first met to be able to talk today, it's pretty (laughs) special. And to see what it is like. Yeah. We're just in a different spot. Both of us are um, with our families and just you know, ministry and just all the things that God has done um, in order to get us to this point. Even Robin is just amazing. So, so yeah, well, we would, we're excited about just what you have to share today. And a good starting place would be, we want to just introduce you to listeners. So please tell a little bit about yourself and your family, your life, job, whatever to our Sure. Well, I know you can't see me, so I'll just tell you that I am a redheaded, freckle-faced Texan turned oaky. <laughs> and um, I can't deny my roots, but gosh, I love Oklahoma. So um, I was born and raised mostly in Texas. Um, I'm a writer um, of a published book named um, called You Are Worth Saving, Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart. Um, last week or two weeks ago, excuse me, it went, um, on audible. So now you can have, find that worldwide on audible. That is so and exciting. Yes. We're so excited. Um, you, when you look sometimes like we have someone who looks at who is following and stuff, when it's up people from other countries who barely have broken English and everything, you're just like, God, use it, please, please, please. And he's so faithful. 
Um, the hardback actually is at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, but that has been a very neat project that I'll go into in just a, a few minutes. But um, I get the privilege of getting to share my story and the ongoing carrying that God is doing for myself and my family. Um, I've spoken to very small venues all the way up to whoever. Hey, the more the merrier. Um, but um, with my journey, a lot of time pe- times people's testimonies or their stories will be, this is what happened. This is how I was. God saved me. And now this is what it looks like now. And you'll see that as we visit um, and as I share more of my life with you, that that has not been our story. And um, I want you to know and hear the grace um, that God has given myself for that, um, that he's given me for myself in that. But um, I'm also like you guys, I'm a podcast co-host. Loud. So um, we're on all the podcast players also and it's just a really special thing that Doug and I get to do together because um we let me interrupt just for a second did you say it's called speak out loud yes making Mm -hmm. sure we get that for our listeners so they can check it out later so continue please yes it's the um, podcast is called speak out loud and the cool thing about it is is that that's the brand of our entire ministry and we just thought you know what we just want to continue that because for so long I was silenced by several things and uh, I will talk with you about those things but we just when God gives us a voice to start sharing we need to speak out loud And so that's where we got that. But anyway, it's been a neat project for Doug and I. Um, It's very vulnerable and it's a lot of work. Um, As y'all know, um, when you're sharing about things that God is doing in your life, it doesn't mean it's easy to share about. And so um, anyway, my husband and I have been married for 29 years this February. We're very thankful for that. And um We have our oldest daughter, Shelby, and uh, she is um, just joy all over the place. She just walks in and lights up a room, and uh, we are so thankful that God's called her to be a teacher. So she teaches school in Dallas. She teaches sixth sixth graders, and um, so she absolutely loves it, and what a gift to be able to love what God's called you to. That's Very cool. Mm -hmm. And then Riley, our 22-year-old, who is mercy, mercy, mercy. She has got grace and mercy for everyone, and that has taught me so much. And um, she is getting her master's in counseling. And so she has just graduated from college, and now she has started her master's program. So so proud of your sweet girls. Thank you. I'm so proud of them. (laughs) Um, I'm just thankful. Honestly, I don't know if y'all can identify with this in any way or you listeners can, but I'm just glad we're all intact at this point. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That means so much more than it used to. So we're just very thankful. Um, they are often, um, Doug Shelby and Riley is the reason I fight, um, for literally, quality health every single day, all day. And um, I will get to the point I know someday to where I will fight for myself. But honestly, I'm not quite there yet. And um, I know that would sound better, but it's just not 
quite there yet and I'm learning so much. And so I know I'll get there. Um, Something that is so key to knowing me is that I love Diet Coke. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) And um, when I, um, when I shared in a few minutes about an extended stay that I was in a hospital and they didn't have Diet Coke, I was so difficult to deal with. I'm sure. It's just, we're not coffee drinkers. We love Diet Coke. So I love to do anything really with my family and friends, especially if it involves Target or any type of shopping. Um, Those two things can never, ever be underrated in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. passionate about keeping about knowing those who serve our family in any way in our community um that can go from 7-eleven to um you know sonic to target to walmart wherever we go um all the way to the very importance of our church and so um we are very much involved in our community um and just loving on those people because um we desire to serve them And that is where some of our time goes, is serving them. Um, Most of them do not choose where they are right now, and they have ended up there. And so we're going to help them get to the next point, if at all possible. Um, I am known for being very sensitive, um, but I think God uses this to keep my mercy high um, for the places I get to go and share um, because of what I've been through that maybe other people might not get to go. It's very important for me to have mercy and be very sensitive towards their needs so Mm -hmm. anyway that's kind of that's kind of me (laughs) are you still at council road yes we are still at council road yes um we teach a class called coca come one come all and so we have a mix of a lot of people from adoptive parents to people um, who have grown kids to people who have never married um, to people who are about to get married. So we're just kind of all, all of it. So, I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> Thank I would you. like to hear the story of how you and Doug met. Sure. Well, that's a fun one because um, it was the beginning of a real big change for me. And while I want to talk more about that in in the coming minutes, I want to tell you that I have um, dated some pretty bad guys. And um, I think it was a reflection of how I felt about myself. And when I got to um, Dallas Baptist University, where I met Doug, the first day of school, he was a baseball player and all of them like lined the co-ed. They just thought they were so cool. And they were, let's face it, they were really cool. And um, he was so quiet. All the other guys were just like mingling and everything. And he was so quiet. And I felt like I was getting a new beginning because I wasn't the preacher's daughter. I wasn't anything, which isn't a bad thing. It was just my first experience out from under that umbrella, really. And so I was just having a blast. And um, I can just remember seeing him standing over there and all of them had like coconut dip in their lip right here instead of dip. (laughs) And so I thought, (laughs) oh, he dips. That's kind of gross. And so anyway, we were in a group of about 25 people that we did everything together over the next three, four years. 
we were all just inseparable. A lot of people started dating each other. People would bring other people from other groups in and they would date and everything. And I was finding that the guys at DBU in a good way were treating me kind. They didn't have an ulterior motive. And I really was just soaking that up in relationships as friends. Um, I really was on the road to choosing um, wrong people to be permanently in my life, including in a husband. And God just, our our senior year, um, it's like Doug came back from summer missions and I would have been in New York City for the summer in Bronx and Brooklyn serving. And we came back and it's like, we had a story to tell and God had worked in our lives so much. And um, I just instantly fell right head over heels from this guy that I'd known for three and a half years. And, um, or yeah. And so anyway, uh, it just pays to be in good groups and surround yourself with healthy, good people, because God may have one of those for you in any facet in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started, he, there was this hayride, and he asked me to go, and I'll never forget the day I saw him coming up the stairs of the co-ed to ask me. He um, he has blonde hair and blue eyes, very fair-skinned, very, very, we're all kind of like paper at our house. <laughs> and uh he came over to me and his ears stick out a little bit. He's, I'm not meaning to think he's darling and his ears, the sun was shining behind his ears and he was just so nervous and everything. And, and before he could even really get out, would you go to this hayride with me? I wanted to go with him. I saw him as stable and he said, was that boring? And I go, no, not at all. It just meant I, you weren't predictable. You were just like, um, in a consistently fun mood or (laughs) like skyrocketing and manic like I was and everything. So um, it was just really refreshing to me to see God use someone that didn't have to be the center of attention. And that really intrigued me. So he asked me out and we had an awesome first date. That's a whole nother story. But um, 33 years ago is when I, First said yes to go out with him. So sweet story. I love yeah, him. Thank you. <laughs> he's a great, he's a great guy. <laughs> Who is, so what brought you to Oklahoma from Texas? Well, um, after going to DBU and us get, we got married, um, like right after I finished my student teaching, I, st- I taught high school, inner city in Dallas, Spanish and English. And um, I, um, was real happy in my job and um, he was finishing seminary. And when he was finishing seminary, uh, we just put out our resume and first call was to Oklahoma city. And I said, please no God, because all I knew was the Bible. <laughs> That's all I knew of Oklahoma oh, yeah. city. And so mm-hmm. I was pretty intimidated by it. And then um we, you know, of course, said yes when they were interested, and we just started a, a really neat life here and um, have never really even thought of moving. So <laughs> I'm so glad that the Lord brought you to Oklahoma because that's one of the ways our paths crossed. That's right. 
So I know you have an amazing story to tell, which is, it's really a challenge to fit it into a short time frame of a podcast, but we are so grateful that you're willing to come and share your story with us. And you can really start as far back as you choose to and um, wherever it would be a good place for you to begin your story of not just one singular moment of afraid not, but really how it's woven through and, and God is still working in you. So like you said, it's not a testimony like a little one little black and white moment and being everything's different. Everything's great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So please start wherever you choose. And we are so grateful to hear your story, Stacy. Thank you so much, Robin and Jill, because I remember just a few short years ago when a story like mine would not only have been hushed, but it would have been um, frowned on. And I just feel like we as Christians and our communities and our churches have come so far. And so if you're listening and you're not even um, interested in church or interested in having any type of community that loves on the Lord and lets him love on you, please hang on because um, I just want to share with you how the community that God has put us in has helped to save my life. And so um Yeah, I was born into a Christian um, family. Um, My dad was a pastor. My dad came from a very, very abusive background. Um, And uh, so he brought a lot of that into our family. And he had not experienced much healing over that. And um, so he didn't have anywhere to put that anger or that aggression. And so it came into our home. And I have an older sister named Tracy, who um, is just precious to me. We are so close, but we were not raised like that. We were kind of raised to to be against each other in many ways, for lack of a better description of that. Um, In sports analogy, I guess it would be that we were on two separate teams. And um, we really fought each other, and it was not a happy household. Um, we would go to church, and I know that this is probably a, fin- a familiar scenario to more people than we want it to be, but you show up at church, and everything is okay, and you get in the car, and you're tearing each other apart, um, and that is very sad. Um, that is something that I pray often, often, often um, that God will heal our families even before we step into the church and use the church to embellish that. But um, that's how I grew up in kind of a ticking time bomb. Skinny was very, very um, important and stressed. Um, My sister and I were naturally um, thin, very thin, Um, but eating wasn't always... um, this is where it's always kind of hard. Eating wasn't very encouraged. And so I want to put it like that. Um, When I was six years old, uh, I was seeing people go up to the front of the church and I was um, hearing people share what God was doing in their lives, something that we often refer to as a testimony. But at six, I didn't realize that. I just knew that I wanted that God. I knew that I wanted to go to heaven and I knew that at six years old, that was about all I understood. But I knew that things that I heard going on at church were not the same as at home. And I, I, I know that 
Six is young, but I dare venture to say our kids are knowing much, much before then. So the Casey, um, can I ask you a question in the middle of this? Sure. You said a moment ago that even from just that feeling of being on almost like against each other in teams and mm-hmm. and that it, you did not feel encouraged to eat all the time. Was that mm-hmm. even from as early as six years old? Do you remember that? Or was that even a little later than that? Sometimes we weren't encouraged to because we didn't have any money mm-hmm. and we that we okay. were not taken care of financially and within our churches. And um, I can remember my earliest memory, even though this was not toward me, I remember my mom not being allowed to eat very much because of the stigma and my dad wanting us to look a certain way. And, you know, wow. You know, I, I just pray that this, that my words fall on ears of grace and mercy because Lord knows I was not, you know, the model parent and am not the model parent to our girls. But honestly, there has just been a lot of hurt and a lot of um, hardship. And uh, my Well, dad, and that was it. There, there was a time period too, because I mean, we're about the same age and during that time period of our lives, then was all the supermodels were thin. Yes. That was admired. That was what you were supposed to look like. There was no like, let's celebrate curviness or any of that. that no, was there was none of that. Um, none of that at all. And, you know, I believe that God can help me tell our story from, from what I've already said on and be honoring to my mom and dad, but be truthful. My dad has uh, got Alzheimer's and he's 80 And he is in his final stages and I want to honor him. But I also want you to know that um, I believe God gives us our stories so that we'll really go there sometimes. And I believe that's why people listen to podcasts and and want to hear is because people feel so lonely in their story that they don't believe God can meet them where they are. And it's really important to me that I share that with you, that where was God when I was six? Where was God when I was eight and 10 and so on? Well, he was absolutely right there. And he was right there in your story also. And it literally many times in our stories that began when we were so at birth, um, when we were so hurt and things were beginning to unfold that we saw that were really scary or harmful, that God absolutely broke for us. Um, and um, so that's where he was. And because we live in a fallen world, those things do happen. But there is a lot of stuff left in my story that tells about his hope. So I'll continue on. Um, with that unpredictability um, played out in front of me, not only did that happen, but we moved 13 times. And uh, I was always the new kid. And being the gangly redhead with freckles and um new kid that not only that, her dad was the new preacher in town. Um, Sometimes making friends was pretty difficult, Uh, but because of tennis, honestly, um, that gave me a great group to hang out with. And um, I found that I couldn't play tennis if I was abusing my body, but I was thin and I was getting thinner. And when you put that with athletics, that's not very healthy. Um, you need to have nutrition to um, exert nutrition. And that's not where I was at all. Some things that happened um, along those lines um, during those times were things that became real pillars of my faith. And um 
things would happen. Like I would get to go to youth camp and um, I would make a deep decision because I was removed from my family and all the pressures that were going on there. And I would have the desire and the heart to get so close to the Lord but I was so confused by what I was seeing at home in comparison to what I was seeing when we were out with people that I was like, I'm doing something to cause this. I must be the instigator of this. And when, when adults in your life do not take responsibility for their actions, then children do is my conviction. And Jill, you can correct me on that. No, that's Um, absolutely true. It's just, we will defend our parents till the bitter end. I feel like when we're little bitty and everything. And as I was growing up, I was just seeing that my parents were, um, you know, really ministering to a lot of people and coming home very exhausted. And I saw that for some reason, when we were at church, things were going well and that there was rage at home. And so I tried to be very, very good. Um, And I tried to be a peacemaker. And um, I can remember at night in middle school and high school, um, there was a lot of pressure about our weight um, as we were turning into young ladies. And my sister and I would quietly, after my parents were in bed, go to the kitchen and get out things and make a sandwich. And we would sneak back to our rooms and get under the covers together and eat that sandwich because we didn't want to get in trouble. Mm. So at the front of my book, the book is dedicated to my sister because those were fun times for us because we didn't realize how much we were under that stress to not do that in the waking hours and in the daylight. And those are things that I know my family would change if they could. And that's why I tell the story because we're meant to eat and nourish ourselves. And um, when that's failed, um, you you don't have a good sense of, um, of your value. It's just the very most basic thing is to feed yourself. And so um, anyway, because of youth camps and mission trips where I was removed from my setting and got to go out and serve other people. I knew without a doubt that I wanted to serve God. I just didn't know how to do that with all of the conflicts that were going on in my home. Um, But I made it through. Was it pretty much a secret to like, would anyone have ever guessed that your home was a place where you felt like that? Like they hadn't probably had no idea. Never. Um, not at all. And I literally attribute that to lack of, of healing and people being in my parents' lives to say, help, let us help you so that that way you can do something healthy with this frustratedness, especially with my dad. Um, and so uh, honestly, um, this morning when I was praying about sharing with y'all and sharing with you um, who have um, listened and take the time to, to listen to this podcast. And that is honestly the most transparent I've ever shared about my four walls in my house. Um, I just feel like people are to the point where maybe in the last couple of years, you were that parent um, when you were homeschooling your kids and, trying to have a job all at the same time and maybe have a shortage of groceries because there's a shortage at the store. 
And I want you to know that it's very important for you to realize that because God has brought us through this, that he will make a way for you from here. And um, that's why I share, because we all mess up as parents. We all mess up as people, even if you don't have a child, whether you're married or not, we screw things up. Mm -hmm. And um, our best intentions can sometimes just hit the fan. And I just want you to know that that's, kind of what I came from or very much what I came from, but God made a way out and that's what he does. He rescues us. He sees when we're under too much and many of us have been under too much in the last few years and he's in the midst of providing a way out. If he hasn't already for you, he sees you and he's hurting for you and he's got a way for you. And I really want you to know that today. Um, when I was a senior in high school, my parents got divorced and that was devastating. Not because we were all so happy together, but because we had become a very dysfunctional unit, but we were together. Right. I can remember at five or six sitting on the front porch going, my dad's not coming home. And it just took 13 more years. Um, kids are so smart. And um, I really knew that there were things going on that I wasn't going to be able to maybe explain for a long time with my words. Um, I knew I had the emotions and the feelings, but I didn't know how to say it. And um, my parents were very loved and very popular. We had some big churches and we had some tiny, tiny churches. But either way, no one would have believed my story. So... um, After um, graduating from high school, I almost flunked out. Um, I moved right before my senior year, in the middle of my senior year, and then in February of my senior year. And at that point, I couldn't even hit a tennis ball, to be honest with you. I had um, been offered scholarships. You moved that many times your senior year? You moved three times your senior year? Wow. Yes. And I kind of, at that point, just gone, you know what? I don't want to get to know anybody. I'm so done. I, um, I was exhausted and, um, I dare venture to say that there are many kids of all ages walking the halls of schools right now that are exhausted and it makes you feel apathetic at best. And it doesn't make a show a true reflection of your intelligence. Um, it just shows that sometimes all we can do is get where we're supposed to be and hang on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so a lot of our I, kids are just surviving. Yes, just surviving. I mean, education is so, so vital and important, but these kids are showing up and they, I don't know how. And so I'm just praying for teachers all the time and counselors like you, Jill, and Robin's been a teacher and everything. And my daughter's a teacher and, you know, these kids are grasping and things are sliding. And so I ended up going to Dallas Baptist University because I had 24 hours to decide, was I going to stay with my dad who going to remarry quickly or go with my to Dallas. That's how I ended up back in Dallas. 
my mom and I were in a Section 8 apartment. Um, there were, we had gone from middle-class California at that time to um, being in very much um, a clean, but the location being kind of iffy for our, for just two girls. <laughs> my mom hadn't worked outside the home per se. She'd been an awesome minister's wife, but she was very tired and very suicidal once my dad left. Um, I knew I couldn't go to the other universities that had offered me tennis scholarships because number one, I wasn't the same player anymore. And number two, I knew without a doubt that I, if I didn't go with my mom, I wouldn't have a mom. And, uh, that's not me rescuing her. That's God speaking into my life. Just go and Stacy, I'm going to take care of you, but go, go with your mom. Mm -hmm. My sister was finishing her education um, in California. She came quickly to Dallas. Um, but I ended up going to Dallas Baptist University because it was close to where my apartment was. And it was Baptist. And I was like, okay, I, I at least can speak the language. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, get loved on by a lot of people. And um, Baptists eat great. So I was really hoping for that. But um, as I was at the end of my senior year, the eating disorder had really gone from me not eating well, some malnourishment, to me choosing not to eat well. Um, when I got into the end of my freshman year, my pants weren't buttoning because I had gotten the choice of two meals a day from a cafeteria. And we all know school cafeterias, carbohydrates. And those are good for us, but I didn't, my body did not know what to do with them. And um, so I was eating twice a day. I was eating a well, a, a good amount to sustain my schedule. And um, that started to happen. So I began to isolate. People didn't know how extroverted I was. I was still doing everything. I was a part of the Baptist student ministry. Um, I was... Uh, I was homecoming queen two of the four years, princess one of the years. I mean, I was doing the thing, man. I was having so much fun, but inside I was going, what am I going to do with what I've just seen for the past 18 years? And man, it had made quite a um, deep road through my life. And uh, I still graduated uh of course, Doug and I met in the midst of all of that, and I made a bunch of lifelong friends that I can still call up right now. They began to get the hang of what was going on with me. I was isolating some. Um, were your friends aware that you were choosing to not eat sometimes, or were you able to hide it from Doug and your friends? I think for the most part, I hid it from my friends. When I would have these times of isolation, I would eat like crackers in my room or something like that. Some of the time we went through some of the um, craved diet powders and things like that. Um, and I really feel like I had gotten so good at masking things because I had learned these things. I don't feel like people weren't reaching out to me. I feel like I was just so good at it. Mm -hmm. And 
my weight after it went up, I got really scared because my clothes weren't fitting. Parents were divorced, didn't have a dime. I was working three jobs at Dallas Baptist on campus, carrying 17, 18 hours at a time because I was afraid somebody was going to make me move. And having the time in my life, but still that undercurrent of, I am so scared somebody is going to find out that I am this broken. And, um, it just took a little time and, and they did. Um, before Doug and I got married, when we were engaged, I told him, I told him, I said, I, I don't know when to eat and when not to eat. I don't know how I feel. Um, in my mind, a lot of the times I know I feel very sad. I feel very confused. I feel very hard on myself. I, I don't feel like enough. If I was, why is my family in three different states? And, um, and he is so kind and good to me. It wasn't like he was like, Stacey, this is a deal breaker. He said, let's figure this out together. Had counseling been more prevalent we would have needed honestly to go to counseling for a good while not because it would change him wanting to marry me or me wanting to marry him but it would have given us some tools that we really really needed so I graduated we got married the next month had a huge wedding um lots of celebrating um I had new in-laws my Parents were both at the wedding. It was huge for me, for them to be in the same room. And um, my sister stood by me. And I thought, this is going to fix things. This is going to change things. And it made things more to where I could face them. But um, really what I was being introduced to was hope, mercy, grace, consistency, And when it all came down to it, thankfulness that I was still there because I didn't realize that everybody wasn't as down in their mental um, stability as I was. Um, I didn't have mental stability. And um, so, yeah. Did it kind of make things a little harder seeing a different type of family, knowing that that's not what your family was? Because I think sometimes when we're in survival mode as children and Mm -hmm. how that other people didn't live the same way, it kind of hits hard Mm -hmm. and and you're not in survival anymore. So then you start processing and starts hit to hit harder. I think so. And that's one reason why I was a junior in college before anybody knew my parents weren't under the same roof. Oh, so you kept that a secret. Mm -hmm. Uh Very much, very much. I wasn't ashamed. I was scared. I needed these people and I didn't know at that point how deep they were into unconditional love and accepting me no matter what. And that's exactly how they were. They were wonderful. Um, And the more I compared, the more I was just glad that we were all still alive because of some of the abuse that happened But by the same token, I just felt like, wow, God, how will you ever use me when there's this mess that leads all the way up to me? And um, you got a deep sense that you are not worthy. Oh, very much. And it's not because 
my parents never loved on me or anything, but I was formulating because my, my dad's relationship, I was formulating that I was very leavable. And, um, I don't know if that's an, that's a real word, but that's how I felt. And, um, I didn't want that to happen again. And, um, I, I didn't even know how to hold consistent friends without the friends in college holding on to me. Um, and they did. And um, God um, has really restored in many ways before my dad is as sick as he is now. Um, our family in many ways, even. And I want to come full circle and say that because that's on God. God did that. God totally. Um, my parents can be in the same room. My my stepmom can be in the same room with my dad and, uh, or with my mom. She loves her. They love each other. Um, but there's been a lot that happened to get us to that point. Several marriages on both of them and, and everything. The reason I mean, mention these things are not so that people can go, oh my gosh, poor Stacy. I want you to see how restorative our father is mm-hmm. because... Um, Things happen. And for us to deny those things is just not being honest with where we really are and how great God really is and how deep and powerful he is. Um, I honestly cannot at this point, being over 50, (laughs) believe that I'm here for the lies that I have believed. And the things, the lies that I have stated my, staked my value on, they haven't been from God. Um, I was the one sitting in church that would go if they only knew. And it being church being my loneliest place of the week. And then people getting to know me and not leaving has been pretty amazing. So you'd mentioned that you were in a treatment facility. So how deep was the, was it, was that for eating disorder? How deep did that go? Yes, it was for eating disorder. And that really became pronounced when Doug and I first got married and I got, um, it had kind of saved away a little bit. Um, I wasn't noticeably sick. And when Doug surrendered to the ministry and we went into the ministry, and um, I was having a lot of memories of being in the ministry as a little girl and different things like that. I got really scared. And um, we were at the church we were in for 11 years. But right before we were called to here, Oklahoma, here in Oklahoma City um, to our church, um, I was one of the 0.09, I think, percent that got pregnant on the pill on the birth control pill. And um, so I was like, okay, we weren't planning this. We had just gotten married um, like a year before. And um, we planned to wait a little bit, do ministry, career, get our feet wet in these things. And um, my weight was low enough that the pregnancy wasn't going well. I was pregnant with a little boy. And um, I was teaching school at the same time. And um, my stomach hadn't gotten very big with the pregnancy, even though I was in my fifth month. And I was driving in Dallas over an overpass. And when I did, I was caught by two 18-wheelers, and I was in between them. And um, I was able to 
carry the baby um, a few weeks after that, but I ended up losing him as a result of both lack of nourishment and um, me not taking care of myself so that I could feed him. And then also the, the, the accident was just that profound. After that, I, um, we got here to the ministry and I was definitely sick. Um, that's when we started really seeing some of the more visible signs of me being sick. What are some of those signs that show up mm -hmm. when it's a serious um, eating disorder is, is strong? Sure. um, One of the kind of myths or stereotypes of eating disorder, whether it be anorexia or bulimia, and bulimia is that it doesn't always show only in the weight. Someone can be very, very sick and not look sick. I looked sick. Um, you, I've lost friends who would not, by the world standards, look sick at all, and they've died of anorexia. Um, so I very much looked um, gaunt, um, no, no visible life in my face, um, and. I had no energy. I had a definite list of foods that I would not eat. And just to show how amazing the Lord is in our lives, I a year after the loss of the baby where I did have two DNCs with him to get him, he was big enough for that. <sighs> um, then our God gave us, after a full year of me getting well, because I had broken this, broken that in the, in the accident. Um, God gave us the pregnancy with it. Shelby. Um, we had little Shelby. We had 11 ultrasounds with her and she was born and she was pink and she was plump and perfect. And she was just wonderful. The doctors couldn't believe it. Um, I could barely sustain weight to manage myself, much less her. And then two years later, I was still sick, and God gave us Riley, and she was a month early. She was a little more, um, um, she needed a little help at first, Um, and uh, then she was perfect and plump and pink, too. Now, I say that, and I don't always share that. This is why so many people take care of themselves, and they don't have a baby, And I really have had to deal with that Um, and going, God, thank you so, so much for my babies. Thank you for my daughters. I really didn't think I would get to have babies. My vitals were not good. My blood work was not good. And I just for that want to stop and just say, I'm, I'm so thankful I got to, but I'm so sorry when you don't get to, um, not a time goes by when I see a little redhead running around, a little boy running around that my heart does not absolutely sink. By the same token, he'd be 27 now. And I, every single time I see a big redheaded tall boy, I just think, ah, I know I had a wreck, but I was also not taking care of that baby. And I've had to really go through a lot to forgive myself. And some days I do better than others. And some days I just don't get there. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people who really, really want that and deserve that. And 
I just want to say to you, if that's you and you have not biologically gotten to be a parent, I just want to say to you, number one, that I'm sorry. And number two, that God does not waste our suffering. And that I want to acknowledge that for you. Um, God knew that I was going to need these redheads much later to help keep me alive. Mm -hmm. And that's not me justifying it. That's just me saying, hang on. Mm -hmm. God has a plan for exactly your story. He does not waste our suffering. And when I would push those babies around and be so, so sick and people would see me, I would feel guilty sometimes and just go, I know he has a plan for you. I know he has a plan for me. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And does that make sense at all, ladies, that I would have that guilt when I wasn't oh, taking yeah. care of myself? And yes. there are ladies walking around who are the perfection of nutrition and taking care of themselves and taking those prenatal vitamins. And I wasn't one of them. Mm, um, so God's had to do a lot of healing mm -hmm. with me on that. But they're here. And I, gosh, all the times I've attempted suicide and God is reminding me of those two redheaded girls who need a mama, not any mama, the mama he gave them. Mm -hmm. If you're walking around with an adopted child, you're the mama he gave them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so no mistakes there. Mm -hmm. No second place there. Mm -mm. I'm so grateful that the Lord gave you Shelby and yeah. so grateful. Me too. So I know that you wanted to be well for them. I know mm -hmm. you did. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who would say, well, Stacy, why didn't you just eat? Isn't mm -hmm. it simple? Well, I think one of the misconceptions too about eating disorders yeah. is that it's just about the weight. And it sounds like you're started out that way, but that's not what it becomes, is it? Right. Exactly. Y'all are both right. Totally. Um, about that. Yes, it, it starts out maybe as that, um, maybe somebody saying something to you when you have lost weight, or maybe you get in attention when you do have a certain body shape curves um, that are so beautiful that we're supposed to have, um, according to our, you know, depending on your genetic makeup. Um, and somebody, so many people have just said to me, Stacy, just take a bite, just eat the bite. What's such a big deal about that? It's a Twinkie or it's a, you know, piece of meat. It's fried chicken. It's mashed potatoes. Yes, I put butter in that. And what my mind is doing the whole time, even when, when I was pregnant with the girls, is screaming, do not take that bite. It, that one bite will affect you for, the, for a very long time. That one bite will make you overweight, according to the world. Um, and you won't be a good anorexic if you take that bite. If you're going to do something, do it well. Don't take the bite. So-and-so is a great anorexic. Look how skinny they are. You will come nowhere close to that. You must be a bad, bad anorexic. Work harder. Work harder at that. That's what I still to this day hear screaming in my mind. Um, and we've had people... Oh, all over the world who've prayed for our girls not to have anorexia, bulimia. Not only that, but to just look in the mirror or just to be able to, you know, think of the Lord and go, you know what? I'm good. I'm okay because my value isn't in that. And I can tell you that I can be very close with the Lord and still not feel my value is 
in him. And so I have to fight for that. I really have to fight for that. Aren't y'all glad you're interviewing me? <laughs> well, it's true. You have to do, to be honest about those things is so important. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're not alone in how you feel. Mm-hmm. And we're all in process, you know, we're a, we're a work that God is still working on. <laughs> so yeah. what were some of the, the things that helped you uh, still be here today? Because I know you've had some really, really close calls where yeah. it was getting scary. So yeah. how are some of the, what are some things that have brought you, like have, has God used great doctors and hospitals or things like that? Yeah. Well, I want to stop with that question and I want to answer about the why I'm still here. And this leads into very definite things, very real um, moments in my life. One is that with the eating disorder, um, with the depression onset, because of a lack, a lack of nourished brain will lead to depression. You have to feed your brain or there in that place. Um, And I can remember when the girls were um, probably 10 and 13, and I was at a time where I was being very reckless because I didn't care about myself. I wasn't as skinny as I wanted to be. I wasn't the minister's wife that I had really wanted and hoped to be the minister's wife that I was seeing around me, not of perfection, but just relying on God and doing things the way um, that the scriptures tell us to do. I had good role models around me of, of, of godly women. And I wasn't, I I didn't feel like I was anywhere near that, which is the comparison trap. And um, I remember one night when we had gotten out of the ministry because we needed to, the girls and Doug were gone and I'd been real reckless, not wearing my seatbelt and speeding, um, not doing a good job of caring about um, being here from one day to the next at all. I didn't see the point. Um, I saw, I began to put other people as my girl's mom instead of myself um, and taking myself out of photographs, taking myself out of events. Um, And that's dangerous. Um, And the girls were gone and I was sitting in the bathroom and something that I began to get um, really used to and something that I would call on or do regularly was cut. I got to where um, when I didn't perform well um, in a group or when I didn't understand a conversation because my brain wasn't fed and when I was um, sad and lonely and felt like um, that I was failing my children and my husband, I would go and sit on the bathroom floor with a tool that I won't name because I just don't see a reason to do that. And I know y'all aren't asking for that. Um, And I would cut hateful, hateful words on my body. Mm. Um, Words that I would never have said to my mom and dad, even at the lowest moments of our family. Um, I saved them all for me. And um, the enemy was ever so present to usher in those words when I was sitting there. Um, So many, so loud. I couldn't cut fast enough. Um, And Doug would pull for me at night. You know, we'd get in bed and he would want to console me or anything like that. And it would hurt because I had so many cuts. And um, did he know this? Did he see him? 
My girls saw them. My babies would point out my tummy and say, Mommy's owies. And um, the enemy uses that one a lot for the guilt. And those are things that I can't fix. Um, And when it wasn't numbed out enough from not eating, then I would numb out from depression. When the depression wasn't numbing me out enough, I would cut. When the cutting wasn't numbing me out enough, I would try suicidal attempts. And I did try um, one Because night. cutting and suicidal attempts are not the same thing, and I think people misunderstand that. I think that they can be a segue. Um, I think it's a cry for help when we cut. Right. Um, I think it's an outward expression of inward hate mm-hmm. and hurt. Um, I think it's a way to numb out and just go, you know what, if I can just think about the pain, then maybe I won't go all the way. Um, and I think that in my case, and I can only speak for myself in this, I've talked to many, many people not only teenagers, but especially teenagers. It's getting younger and younger, it feels like, which is terrifying, um, of people who have said, I cut and I cut, and I can take my mind off of what my dad said to me or the person who hurt me physically or emotionally or sexually. Um, And in my case, it was just me going, you will never be enough never never ever in your wildest dreams would you be enough um and fortunately I was looking across the room or lying across the bed from somebody that was daily telling me different and God has sustained my marriage, but I'll tell you one night when the girls were gone and Doug was gone, like I was going to mention a minute ago, I was sitting in that bathroom and I was so tired of cutting things and only feeling numbed out for a little while. And I was just like, God, um, there has to be a better way. And I didn't call on him often. It's not like he wasn't answering me. I just didn't call on him often. And Um, I was sitting in the floor and that's exactly where I needed to be. And I write about this in my book because my posture needed to be different that night. And I just had always pictured me being dirty and being, um, not one of the people that was around us. That was for sure. Um, and I was over here by myself and my gown, picture you know the pictures you see in the bible children's bibles the children are in little gowns and stuff and jesus is in a gown and they were all white and uh white gowned they were happy and sitting by jesus and i'd always picture myself even as a little girl over to the side and then finally in this evening when i was sitting there with that tool in my hand and i was calling out to god and i was just like god can you please help me? Can you save me? Can you, can you make this look different? I'm not saying I deserve that. I'm just saying, can you help me? I really don't want to be here anymore. I had attempted other times. And this time I was just like, God, can you just help me? And for the first time I pictured myself with, um, 
the people that were around Jesus and he had come to get me. And, and that verse that I will never forget that says his gracious is sufficient for me. It is more than that. It is so much more than that. And he came and got me. And not only that, I got to sit with him and be with him with the other kids and, and with the other people. And that was really life altering for me because I was 40. And all that says to me is it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Um, not the Jesus, not the God we serve. Um, the only true God. And um, that was life altering for me. Um, another time was, is um, when my girls were in high school and I was really not taking care of myself. Finally, I got to not my lowest weight, but a, a weight where there were ultimatums put in front of me. Um, things like, can't have the girls around you as much. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I couldn't, I, I was too weak to stand. Um, and a lot of these things that you think of with an anorexic, that was me. Um, I was trying to lose still five more pounds. I was seeing a counselor and she said, I can't see you anymore um, because of not only do I care about you, but because of liability, because my counselor said to me, because of liability, I can't see you anymore. You're dying. Um, And my nutritionist, my new nutritionist said, I can't continue to see you. You're not really doing what I'm asking you to do. But if you'll go away to an eating disorder treatment center, you'll get a life. You'll get some, you'll get a life that you never had. It's not even saying get your life back. I never weighed what I was supposed to. So she said, I really need you to go away and see if we can help you live. My heart was shrinking. Um, My vitals were low. I couldn't digest milk. Um, So I was pretty much at the end. Um, no muscle mass, nothing. It was, my friends have now told me that it was like his skin just hanging on my bones. And I don't want to say an actual number because like I said a few minutes ago, someone can be dying and it not look like that on the scale. But if your internal organs are not being fed and they're struggling, you, you are getting to that point of compromised living. And so um, one thing I always encourage people to do is see a nutritionist, see a counselor um, and get help specifically for that. Um, It's hard to find. I can give you some information at the end. Um, But I've ended up needing to go to Lariette Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, There are places to go. um, Better co-ed, I knew God wanted me to go to a place where I could just focus and be with a group of women. And um, I was sick enough that they got me in really fast. Um, I took my daughter, Shelby, to college, and the very next day I was in ICU. Um, I was supposed to be in ICU for uh, the program for six weeks. I was in ICU alone for seven weeks. Um and couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair full-time. Um, and the first thing that happened when I got there was I walked, I was in the car and Doug was like unlocking the door and I'd lock it back 
he was unlocking the door and I was locking it back. I was terrified. I took two changes of clothes. I didn't think I was going to be sick enough to stay. And that's the dysmorphia that you referred to, Jill. Um, It's real. It's not somebody wanting you to compliment them and say, oh, you're so skinny. It is real. To this day, I will go to the store and buy clothes that are three sizes too big for me, thinking they will be tight. Um, It's a sickness. It's a mental illness. And when somebody showed up at my car window and said, Stacy, you're where you need to be. Let's get you in the wheelchair and get you to a room. I walked, I was wheeled through the um, ICU doors and there were several dozen roses from my husband. And he said, do this for us. He was tired. He had never known me as a partner in 24 years of marriage at that point. Never. And I think that he was not going to say he was done, but emotionally, physically, he was done. And so I needed to go in there and change. I needed to go in there and get a life, basically. And I didn't give myself any other choice. A lot of people that I was with were contemplating that over and over again. And that didn't make me a better person patient. It made me a frustrated, angry patient sometimes because I knew I had every reason to live. And some of those people didn't, and I still wasn't choosing it. But when I got in there, I did. And um, I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't. um, I wasn't gaining. I wasn't improving. And they said, we're going to give you a tube. feeding tube tomorrow if you can't keep food down. And the next morning I got up and I kept a little bit of yogurt down. That was God. Um, While I was there, I went through the entire program and I was gone almost five months. See, I was supposed to be gone six weeks. I was there five months. I was, I was just sick and God gave me relationships. He said, you know, we're, we're witnesses, you know, we, I thought, okay, this will be my mission field. God, when he got me in there, he made it very clear that I was in there to get better and that he was going to take care of my peers and he was going to make, help, help me answer questions in a way that they would know that I have Jesus. But I was about, I was losing a battle and this was my time to gain some ground. And, um, I ate, over 500 meals there and I cried through probably 350 of them and um I made friends that I will have for the rest of my life there and I hid food there and I spit food in my napkin there and I got angry and nobody left And everybody, all the help there stayed. And they would say to me, Stacy, if you take two more bites, you can um, get to go see Riley dance. If you will drink some more of this milkshake, you can be there for Shelby. It's parent weekend and Doug's there alone and we know you want to be there. It was humbling, not humiliating, all the time, but it was very humbling. And um, 
I needed Jesus to keep me there as long as he needs to. And he did. And I came home and I was scared to death because I looked different. You don't go away and gain 30 things of nutrition. I don't use the word, other word. Um, Nutrition, I mean nutrition and come home and people not notice a difference in you. I look different. I felt different. I wore a different size. Um, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror, not because I hated it, because it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I had never had any substantial nutrition on me ever. And so this was a new, different person to me. I still am trying to get to know her. Um, but every day, I'm because of the tools I learned there, I don't candy coat it when people get in touch with us and want to have a meal with us and say, what is it like? It was the hardest thing I've ever, ever done. But I didn't do it without support. And I didn't do it without um, God. Mm-hmm. He met me there in ICU all the way to when I was the size and the mental capacity that I needed to have to walk out of there. They don't will you out. They walk you out. Mm-hmm. It's a statement. And I've had to fight for my life since I've been home because it's a slippery slope. And I don't know how it is to go in for alcoholism, but that's not either. None of recovery of any type is not a straight line. Right. So, yeah, that was my experience there. (laughs) And food is not something that you can just be like, well, I'll just abstain and stay away from it. I mean, we have to have food. Yeah. Thing you have to deal with every meal. Every meal, every day. And they have a parent week, a, a family week that they have. And Doug went to it every time, and my kids came to it some. And that was a lot because I would see someone talking with them and the tears falling because someone finally understood what they had never not known, anorexia, manic depression, their mom being sick, um, their mom not being able to take them to the park after school. Um Shelby fed Riley a lot. That's not what a seven-year-old should do. Um, yeah. Mm. So. Well, we are so grateful that you are here. We and- are. You're here. God is still working in you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. He is He is our hope, and I fail at some meals, meals, and we rejoice at some meals. It's not always failing anymore, and my girls have learned that mom and dad don't have to have it all together because God does, and um, they have seen God restore their mom. And they also see me fight really hard. And they also see me on the days where they call me and I still haven't gotten up. Mm. And so they are so good to me that it makes me want to show up. Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't have to be your kids in your life 
Um, it can be a job. It can be a, a friend. It can be a spouse. It, it can be a pet. Um, so many different things. But in my case, people my whole grown-up life have looked at me and said, what is wrong? You have two babies. You have a wonderful husband. You have Jesus. What is going on with you? And all I could say was, I don't know. Maybe I can do more of a quiet time. Maybe if I sing more praise and worship. And you know what? I've done those things and I will continue to do those things. But I also take medication. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've had to get past that and just go, God, thank you for medication. I take 12 different medicines in one day to be here. Mm. And I'm thankful that God has provided that. My mind does not want me to be here. My body struggles to be here. Are but God internal, has Are your internal organs healed now for your healing? Half of the medicines I take in a day are so that I can eat my food and digest it. It's, it didn't happen quickly and it's not, I'm not recovering quickly, but um, we do see progress. If we do see two steps forward, three steps back, sometimes on the physical part, um, that's the hard part. There's some, there are always reminders. Mm-hmm. But there's no shame in medication. And I think that's another thing in the church that we don't talk about often mm-hmm. is that sometimes for mental health, even that we have to take medication and there's no shame in it. Yeah. And that's one of the main questions I'm asked when I speak somewhere is, or on our podcast or anything like that is what do you feel about medication and why, while I am not saying um, everybody should have it, I am saying it's definitely something that God provides and to make it a prayer of yours, because honestly, without medication, if I if they've tried to take me off of a little one, I am in bed or in the floor and a very dark corner. Um, and so we have embraced it and we've celebrated it and we've um, encouraged people to definitely have that conversation because it is um, it's it's really worked in my life. <laughs> it's really worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. I definitely, definitely am thankful for it. Me too. I have to take it. (laughs) And we're just thankful that the enemy has not won. You know what? I mean, he he would have wanted to take you down. And because of the amazing mercy and redemption of God, here you are today sharing your story. And... And God is the hero of this story. That's right. Hero. And he has has more pages to write in your beautiful life, Stacey. Thank you. You are are an awesome, wonderful person. And we are so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you you for being so honest and and open in this conversation. Sure. I think um, just when I woke up today, I think that's why I just felt so heavy is because I was like, God, sometimes it's not what you want us to do is to go there and won't be respected. It won't be um, used, perhaps. Um, 
And you know what I mean by respected people blow you off, you know, and um, that's okay too. We, it's his story. It's okay too. But when I woke up today, I was just like, God, you know, people deserve to know how awesome you are and you deserve to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and to talk to. So. <laughs> Stacey, do you have any final words you want to say to our listeners? Something that I cannot do life with, let me just definitely put it like that, is um, without the word of God. Because if I don't get up and sit up and make my bed to not get back in it and get my Bible in my hands that day is most definitely going to be a fail. And so um, I know people are encouraged to do it at quiet time or spend that quality time with the Lord any time of day. But for me personally, I have to start it with that or I don't have a prayer. (laughs) So my verse that we cling to so tightly is Psalm 118.17. It's brief, but gosh, it's powerful. It says, I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Psalm 118.17. I love the verses in Isaiah that talk about Isaiah 43. That is just precious. It talks about um, how he formed us in our mother's womb. And he says this. I'm not a good paraphraser. He says, "Um, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I redeemed you. And that's exactly what most of our stories, the key word is, is redeemed. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, which is what we do every day, um, they will not burn you or they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, they will not burn you. The flames will not set you ablaze for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy one of Israel, your savior. And then skip down to seven. And it says, everyone who is called by my name, who I've created my, um, for my glory, you are, whom I formed and made. I love you. Um, just things like that, you know, <laughs> just life giving verses. The final one I want to bring to our attention is this one. Um, some of us know part of the verse, but the, the whole verse is just, just powerful. And it's from first Peter five, six through a little bit here says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty right hand, he is powerful. He's not a wimpy God. Humble yourself. Therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that in due time, he will lift you up. Cast all your cares and anxiety actually is the word there in my Bible. Anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the thing I want to say about that verse is, is that many times people have said things to me and maybe they've said things to you that are so humbling because they don't get you. And I've had to sit under that and just go, God, I know you get me. Um, but to sit there humbly and just go, God, I know that in due time, you are going to lift me up and I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not going to say what that needs to look like. And I'm not going to be proud in that. But at the same time, he has said 
that he will lift us up. So to cast those anxieties on him because he cares for us. And he's just amazing enough to say, Stacy, not only that, but in a mind that doesn't even work right. So most of the time, I'm going to help you write a book and I'm going to let you be able to help sometimes sit with someone and say, I truly do understand. And you don't have to be in a counseling office, which I'm a huge advocate of counseling. And then for him to say, I'm going to let you stay married and have a conversation with your husband every week and get to talk with people about mental illness or anything that I'm a part of to bring hope that mm -mm, I don't deserve that. And that's what I get to do. So I don't know if on this side of heaven, I will ever not struggle or suffer. Um, but it, I will say this with confidence. It keeps me close to the Lord. And please know that you're not alone because the same God that helps me even sit up in the morning and who helps me to lay down at night most of the time when my body is very sore, helps me to take bites. He will do. He will do that for you. I'm no exception. And um, I just want you to not give up. Please do not give up. Thank you, Stacy. And for sharing your story. We're so appreciative that you joined us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're so glad that you did. I loved Stacy's vulnerability and her honesty. You know, like she shared with us today, recovery of any type is not a straight line. Wherever we are, we just need to be be honest with it and just ask the Lord to help us where we are today. I'm so glad Stacy did not wait until everything's all perfect and finished with the bow on top to share her story. She's sharing her story right where she is. And that is such a beautiful example. Make sure to check out her book. It is called You Are Worth Saving. You can find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or you can listen to it on Audible. Also, her podcast with her husband, Speak Out Loud. And we just want you to remember that His grace is sufficient no matter what you're going through. So make sure to rate and review our, our podcast. It kind of it helps people to find us and share the show with a friend. And we'll see you back again in two weeks.